from HerbMentor.com, this is Herb Mentor Radio. You are listening to Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is Will Andres. Will is an herbalist, wildcrafter, and outdoor guide originally from West Virginia with more than 40 years' experience. He studied 28 years with herb doctor and healer C.F. Catfish Gray. He has had many herbal elders and has been deeply influenced by the traditional Cherokee approach to plants and medicine. Will runs Will's Wild Herbs in North Carolina and has been in business for 37 years. He also teaches and offers private consultations. He and his son produce and sell products through Whole Foods, Durham, North Carolina, as well as other local markets. You can learn about Will's classes and private consultations at willswildherbs.org. Will, welcome to Herb Mentor Radio. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's an honor. So, uh... I have it here on Herb Mentor Radio, you know, because uh, actually I've had multiple people come out to me at conferences in, in the last year, at least three people, and said I should interview you, <laughs> and they go on and on, and 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 you know, I was like, who, you know, no, but <laughs> but really, um, but I really, but reading about you and hearing what people have been telling me, your your your, your raving fans have been telling me about you, um, that you really embody what Herb Mentor is about, meaning that yeah, you've been mentored. And you mentor, and uh, that's been so much of your life. So I really want to focus on your story about your mentors initially, and how you learn, and uh, maybe and 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 hopefully we'll get to tap into some of that knowledge. So, um, where did you grow up, and how did you first learn about herbs? Well, um, being from West Virginia, which is all mountains or hills, um, I grew up in Central West Virginia, around the Canoa Valley. The city there is Charleston, West Virginia, mm-hmm. and, you know, I grew up maybe not far out of town, 10, 15 minutes out of town, but all you have to do is go 20 miles or 20 minutes away from town, and, you know, you're in thousands of acres of woods that have been preserved, like state forest, and so I grew up, I was lucky to grow up in a place where, you know, we had apple orchards and woods and edges mm-hmm. of fields and you know, it was just a kind of a perfect place to grow up, and my neighbors knew the names of these things, these plants mm-hmm. and trees and shrubs and other things, and they all had something to say about it on some visceral level. You know, it wasn't just a story they read out of a book. So, yeah, I just remember always being fascinated by my neighbors and you know, I remember my mom dropping me off, bringing me to town, dropping me off at the library when I was a little kid, and, you know, I'd just kind of hang out in that nature section, and, you know, a lot of a lot of books influenced me, like Ellsworth, uh, Jaeger, you know, that period of time in the early 1900s when people were, some people were appreciating the native culture and trying to document it and actually learn it and live it, you know, to carry it on, so... Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with my habitat. Right. So you love nature because you, you grew up in it, and then you just found yourself from an early age just trying to seek out information and and mentors. And and I imagine that the neighbors. I mean, by the time at the time they, they, you're growing up, which is let's see if I get this right, but you're growing up what in the in the fifties. In that area? Uh, yeah, I was born in 45, so... So, yeah, yeah so mid, you know, fifth, whatever, when you're a kid, grow, um, there there must have been a lot of people around there who had some real old, you know, like some elders around there who had some knowledge from, you know, before it was lost. So yeah, did you get to tap into a lot of that? Yeah, like I said, I've always been drawn to it, and, you know, I was kind of 
I think that's the right word, drawn to it. And, you know, I didn't have a really, uh, I was kind of isolated in many ways, and uh, geographically, but even more socially, culturally. And, you know, I had a lot of, uh, oh, how would you say, a lot of strife in my, where I grew up, my mm-hmm. mom and dad, my sister and I. So, yeah, I always found that comfort, you know, as soon as I walked out of the yard and in the woods, there it was. So I always honored that, acknowledged it, and spent all the time out there that I could, you know, even though it caused me problems uh, because, you know, I spent a lot more time out there than I did, quote, the normal things, right, like playing right. basketball <laughs> and hanging out and that kind of thing. But that's been more or less the story of my life. Which, which is the way we, we parents would love our kids to grow up now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You probably exactly. didn't think you had the ideal childhood <laughs> at the time. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was good. It was good. It's always been there for me. Now, now, did, did, now we're you're saying like, um, well, out of necessity, um, with your fam- like with your family growing up, we're, we're we're using plants and home remedies like commonplace at least on some basic level in your house. No, within my house. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely not. My dad, my dad was raised in New York City and all oh. over those boroughs, and my mom was raised in Worcester, Mass, and they moved to West Virginia when I was one. So that's interesting. Yeah, because I didn't have it in the home, it kind of, you know, I had I had to reach out of my house and my home. But you know, I had real supportive parents in the way that they, you know, in, in some ways they. Um, you know, really honored it, did everything they could to support me, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, just uh, learning how to shoot and learn how to hunt, kind of all on my own with my neighbor's help. So it was a foreign world to them. They never really got it. But, but you know, they appreciated what I loved. And uh, I used to trap animals a lot, you know, live. And they all, I always remember my dad building boxes for me. I don't mean to say that they were, mm-hmm. they just didn't understand it, and they were kind of fascinated. My dad used to call me nature boy. That was an insult. <laughs> 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 to him, it was an insult, you know? And meanwhile, we're, so many people listening to this, like especially like us, we, we send our kids to school to learn this stuff. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. That is, that's cool. Um, so that's great that they were supportive, though. And it must have been really cool for the elders or people around you there to, like, probably to have somebody who was interested because I imagine that a lot, of, a lot of kids were going the opposite direction. They wanted to get out of there probably, huh? Exactly. It yeah. was mutually, you know, enriching. So um, who was, was uh, Catfish Gray, was he your first mentor or, like, main mentor? Or did Well, you, you know, after... After I, you know, I grew up and um, basically I kept getting to different levels, you know. Mm -hmm. I began doing construction work. My dad was a contractor, so I'd always work on the jobs, you know, summer from the age I was 14. So among the people, generally people working jobs in the Kanoa Valley, you know, were from deeper from the country. So, you know, there was a large, large proportion of, you know, ginseng hunters, golden seal diggers and, People that dug a little black co-wash, blue co-wash, wild DM, whatever, to sell wholesale, just to not really make that much money, but just to do it and mm-hmm. make a little money. So, you know, I, I I just kept listening, I guess, and hanging out with those people and going to their places and, and kind of just going deeper into it, 
until until I guess it was um, I left West Virginia and I guess I was about 17 and I hitchhiked across the country to uh, thought I was going to join the Vietnam War I thought mm-hmm. thought I wanted to do that when I got out there I realized I went to the Bay Area and um, I realized it wasn't what I thought it was but I was real interested in uh, ironically, people, I mean, nature, I've always understood it's people that I have to figure out, you know, including myself. So um, I went to, uh, I, after I realized I wanted to go, to go to Vietnam, I enrolled in Berkeley and sociology and criminology and kind of did that for a year. I was actually wanting to, to again, I had a lot of illusions. Uh, I kind of wanted to get into law enforcement and um the FBI drew me. I had a lot of illusions about it, what it was. I think I'd read too many James Bond's books. And uh, so it took me a while to figure <laughs> I, things out. I just think this tumultuous. is funny because, like, here you are, like, in the 60s at Berkeley, and you're the nature person, and then yeah. you want to go into law enforcement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it was great. Ironic, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was very But anyway, so, so, you know, one thing led me another, and I lived in a little small <laughs> apartment in Chinatown. Uh-huh. And, uh, I had a lot of jobs, and slowly I got draw. I realized my life was going by so fast, seemingly that I was about twenty, I guess, and um, I felt like I need to photograph what's around me. Mm-hmm. So San Francisco at that time had a lot of really good photographers. So I threw myself into that and just became passionate as a documentary photographer. I felt like I would do that for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I quit Berkeley and just started going to community colleges and working in community uh, or, uh, you know, commercial dark rooms and camera stores and just kind of picking that stuff up. And then I, um, I was, I just felt drawn to go back home to West Virginia. Hmm. And I was, I was kind of lonely out there. I was kind of lonely. And, you know, as you know, it was the free, free speech movement. It was very tumultuous out there. Mm I think the job I liked the best, I was a um, the letter carrier for the Postal Service for like a year and a half, so I was all, all over that, you know, San Francisco, and I just kind of fell in love with the city because, you know, it is has so much nature around it, and yeah. I used to escape on when I wasn't working and go across the bridge and get up into the hills and stuff, but I realized it wasn't really like home, so I was getting tired of all the people and just the congestion, so, so I went back home and... Um, began uh, this apprenticeship program as an uh, inside wireman for the uh, International Brotherhood of Electrical War- Workers. Mm-hmm. So I worked at that about, that's a five-and-a-half-year program, and I worked at that about 12 or 14 years thinking I could, you know, do this well-paying electrical work on these powerhouses, you know, tipples and chlorine bleach plants and kind of very toxic places, and then take the rest of the time and photograph. And uh, it just didn't work out that way because, you know, once they get you, these contractors, they want to keep you working 40 hours. So I was getting sick again. I had childhood asthma real badly. Mm. And uh, so I was getting my asthma back, breathing all these chemicals and really kind of at least spiritually dying. I was working with, you know, all male group, you know, the construction scene, big construction scene. So I I just felt repressed and... uh, unhappy and so that kind of drove me to uh my partner i at the time um 
Isabel, we had a 14-year relationship, and we just realized one time the well went out on this little farmhouse outside. Of, we were living outside of town, and and we just realized we didn't really need a house. And that was kind of our, a revelation. Seems kind of an ordinary for some people, but I realized I don't really need a house. So we moved into our Volkswagen bus <laughs> and uh, lived in that with tents, tarps, and different things for, like, moving around seven or eight years all over West Virginia. And, you know, we went to California, British Columbia, Alaska, and wow. through Canada. And then I came back home again, realizing, you know, I really loved West Virginia, and it was part of me. So at about that time, we were squatting on this land, and uh, that's when I'm, I had an opportunity to meet uh, Clarence Gray, who uh, was teaching. He just did this once at Augusta, uh, Augusta Arts Heritage Workshop in Elkins. So I stayed with him like day and night for a week, and kind of after that, I just my partner and I, uh, I helped a documentary photographer work on a book in Virginia, and then I came back home, and I just stayed there for a few decades uh, with catfish, and he encouraged me, taught me my trade, what plants are, how to use them, how to dry them, you know, how to how to make medicine out of them, how to relate to people. Well, well to what's his listen. background? Uh, he was, um, he was, I don't know how to describe him best, um, he was a deeply curious man, and he had, he came from a family of ten, and he had ten children, and so he just observed all around him and his neighbors, and, uh, so, you know, it was kind of passed down through his family, hmm. because, you know, he had Native American, like a lot of people in the hills of West Virginia have Native American blood, they don't even remember a lot of them, but, you know, he, it started there with his great-grandfather and his, and his, uh, grandmother, and so, yeah, he just, um, it it was, it's tough to raise 10 kids in West Virginia, so he had about every kind of job known to man, and one time he broke his arm, I think, in an elevator shaft, and he began, he, the only job he could get was a night watchman at the Huntington, West Virginia Farmer's Market. So once he did that, because he couldn't work, because he, he was disabled for a long time, and once he got there, they realized how much he knew about all these wild plants and herbs and how to grow them. And so that's kind of where his fame began. Um, then he ended up, you know, digging roots, perennial roots out of the ground in the wintertime and putting them in a shed and covering them up and then in the spring, he'd put them in little cups and sell them. And then, you know, people like doctors' wives, lawyers' wives, you know, garden club people would have him speak. And he was a very charismatic man. Hmm. And uh, he had a real deep sense of uh, faith, joy, and uh, it was very infectious. So he kind of drew people to him. So that's why I hung out with him all those decades, right? Uh, even when I I stayed there with, you know, I was 12 miles up the road living in a tent with Isabel for three years, and then I started branching out, doing local festivals, and then I realized I could do craft shows, farm festivals, and it took me a while to realize I knew anything. Right. Because, you know, when you're with a teacher, you're kind of infatuated and, you know, in a way just trying to absorb what's there, so... Um, took me a while to realize what I learned. 
so yeah, that's when I uh, that's that's the path I began, and then I kept going farther and farther away from home because I realized the more sophisticated places you go, the better you do, and the more starved to sell herbs and educate people, and you know the more hungry they are for somebody that knows about nature and kind of has it flowing through them, you know, through that kind of daily contact. So, so, so uh, we ended up going, uh, you know, a couple of hours north mm-hmm. of New York City to Key West over the years. Oh. So that's that. <laughs> so, so, but, but it really started me off. How, how did he, like, <laughs> it seemed like he gave you a way to learn that you could take with you. Like, I'm getting that it wasn't just about, well, you know, well, this is, uh, this is uh, ginseng, and you do it. Use this, this, and this, and and then this is how you do it. I mean, was it that, or was it more just like honing in on, you know, working with you with the uh, you know, sense of working with nature that you kind of developed from a child? Like you said well, something about yeah, teaching you how to listen. That. Yeah. Okay. Go. Yeah, go with that. Thread. Yeah. He, <laughs> he spotted that, you mm-hmm. know, because um, he, he had one one of his sons was also really knowledgeable, a very skillful hunter, trapper, fisherman, and plants, and knows, knew a lot, but he didn't actually integrate it in his own life mm-hmm. so much, mm-hmm. meaning take care of himself. So, yeah, I think he spotted my value to him uh, far, uh, you know, far more than, you know, I, I didn't get, I didn't really get this mentoring process. I didn't realize that at that point. Uh, because I didn't have that much fathering. So in a lot of ways, he did a lot of things that maybe my dad could have done but didn't know how to do in terms of encouragement. And it was more or less just hanging out with him. My favorite time was in the woods with him. You know, the the deep woods was my favorite time. But, you know, also, you know, I just, my, I, I actually got involved in doing a book, part of a book called Appalachia Self-Portrait because I was already documenting him photographically and you know doing using a cassette recorder to tape record everything he said wow so then i kind of got invited to join this program uh with these other photographers this nea program so we did that one book and you know after that book was done i I just hung up the the uh camera because i just realized that spiritually emotionally I didn't need it anymore. Hmm. It was just like it had become a barrier between me and people. You know, I was using it to kind of protect myself in some way. And, of course, it honed my observational skills, but it was such a relief to to give up documentary photographer and, you know, allow the herbs to kind of, and catfish to kind of guide me into, I can do this for a living. I can go out in the woods as long as I'm willing to work hard mm-hmm. and I can leave the place richer and more bountiful than before I got there. And, you know, I can make a living and have a really rich life doing this. Now, now did he, he taught me that. Did he make a living off it? Because I'm wondering, like, if there was a time, like, uh, am I, like I've heard that in more recent times, it's more just people much more above the table with what they've learned and sharing and selling things. But there also was a time... You know, when I've done other interviews where different parts of the country where some people were like, well, you know, they're trying to be a little more hush-hush about it because it wasn't seen as something that should be really out in the spotlight. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, in his case, uh, like I said, he was, um, how should I say it? Let's say you traveling with him and you stop at a gas station mm-hmm. to uh, get gas. Well, I mean, pretty soon... 
I mean, this is just normal for catfish. Pretty soon, there'll be like five or six people standing around. <laughs> so, you know, I watched that, trying to figure this out, you know, and uh, I went a lot of places with him. I mean, even though he just stayed locally within the state, generally. But, yeah, he was not, he was all about cheering, and he was all about people could show up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and, you know, they'd have a place to stay in his little shack, and he was very open um gregarious man and he wasn't about um he wasn't about not sharing he was about sharing which of course is sometimes in those days wasn't so typical for particularly male herbalist and you know i think watching him work at first he didn't let me help him but you know watching him work um he he was really creative and kind of a minimalist person so I just feel like I learned so much just by being with him in that way rather than just you know this is that and this is that and that's what this is good for for what you know even though that was part of it it was more his energy and his faith that everything's going to be okay uh-huh. and that uh, most things don't really matter and that you know there's no place to really go I mean we're we're fine just where we're at Right. You know, that power of being in the present. I think what I got from him was more spiritual. Mm. Um, that kind of transcended durable skills, you know, I picked up from him, really. So re- really the foundation and the, and, the, and the backbone of all that's behind your approaches of what you do, which you have then found your own voice. Uh, that's good. You know, that's good articulation. Mm. Speaking of voice, what did you do with his recordings? <laughs> <laughs> with this recording, with with uh, with his, you say you recorded him. Did you record him just with your? Well, I. <laughs> I'm curious. I told, you, I told you in passing, my house caught on fire. Oh. Twenty months, twenty one months ago. So, a lot of I'm I'm still sifting through. Uh, I have some stuff being detailed. I have two big old pods sitting in my yard. You know, like they yeah. use on freighters and full of stuff. And I have. Right stuff stored i got about 50 bomb back living in my house now i've got about 50 boxes worth of stuff i have to go through i think a lot of it is okay Mm, good and i think a lot of it was destroyed and i think most of it is okay but it's the cassette form you know so they're old so i've had um i've had a couple of universities ask me about it Mm -hmm. you know but i don't want to just turn it over to somebody i want it to be somebody who can actually technologically you know, turn it into something stable, and um, of course, it's very personal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to just turn it over to somebody without listening to it, right? Myself, because most of it is me and catfish, or me and my partner and catfish, or me and catfish and other people. So, I feel like I need to listen to it. But I feel, you know, I feel like that's something I need to do at some point in my life before I die, right? To you know, honor that and pass it on because it's it's strange, but. You know, when somebody dies, it's in those days when he was alive, everybody knew about him. There was an article in a newspaper somewhere in West Virginia or East or United States every few weeks. And, and you know, once he died, uh, it's rare that anybody's even heard of him. Mm. You know, so once you go, this oral tradition, which he was all about, it's fragile. So... And then I it's really it's passed on in, pe- in, in the mentor- mentorees like you. And then now you um, have been passing it on. And, and I'm guessing that your son, his name's Sean, right? 
Yeah, his name's Sean. And yeah. and you've worked with uh, him a lot in teaching. See, because I saw a picture of him online uh, working oh, did at you? your stand. Somebody posted it. Some I think a link off your okay. site. You know, I was looking at links good, off your site. Good, you know. good, good. So so have you been able to pass things on the same way? You think or? Oh Lord, John. I mean, how would I know? He's 18. Yeah, I know he's 18. All right. <laughs> I've got uh, Would you call me back when he's 30? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, but I mean, I don't mean to be facetious, mm-hmm. but, you know, we have, I didn't have him until I was 49. Mm-hmm. So I just had one child. Mm-hmm. I just had one child. And uh, so I really put all myself into him. And my, uh, I've been divorced about six years. My former wife, Janie was and is a clinical social worker with, um, you know, kind of a, she's done that ever since she was a young woman in West Virginia. So she really had no time, and me being working at home, producing these products at home, Mm -hmm. I had the time. So in a lot of ways, I was the mother Mm -hmm. as well as the father. Mm -hmm. And because of my age, I was the grandfather. So we sent him to year-round school, so... I used to slip away every chance I could in the mountains of West Virginia or North Carolina and, uh, you know, stay three weeks or a month because he had year-round school and I'd keep him out a little longer. So he's been so totally, (laughs) he's been totally saturated with this stuff. And of course it's magnified because in those days I had four apprentices on Thursday and four apprentices on Friday. So, you know, he kind of grew up in this herbal family. Mm Mm-hmm which is really unique, and uh, they're hard to read when they're 18, but I believe in him. And like I say to some friends, you know, the herbs will never let him go because he knows too much. (laughs) You're dangerous, you know too much. (laughs) Well, and, you know, he's always like, you know, girl, young, more of the girls in this class. I'm not talking about girlfriends, but, you know, since he was in junior high, you know, they call him and ask him what to do for headaches, what to do for menstrual cramps, and, you know, mm-hmm. I listen to these conversations from the outside thinking, wow, this really, he really does have it, or, you know, I'll hear him, he comes in, maybe he has something, maybe some congestion, and, you know, it's, not, it's a pleasure to not have to steer him toward what to get, to pick up and take every, you know, he just comes in, takes it, and, right. and goes on, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure, how could you appreciate that at 18 yeah, I feel yeah. like uh, well it seems like years. those are the real deep like longer lasting like 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 you have that mentorship relationship with your son like you had with with catfish and I, I it seems like there's just no way to replicate that even with like a even if it's a like a six-month apprenticeship or a weekend workshops and things like that i mean you can teach people but that's the thing that's really missing that long term. It's really rare, like what you had, you know, that long term, right. you know, that just infusion in your life where you don't even realize that you're learning, you know? Absolutely right. Yeah. That's, that's. I feel like I used to put them out there in the backyard, uh, right? We got a farm um, about 13 miles north. And, you know, I do different things out there, but, you know, I don't grow herbs out there, mm-hmm. but I got this house that. I moved back into it's just on the edge of the it's, it's we're just within the historic district in Hillsborough and it's a really nice little town diversity of ages diversity of people you know not real isolated and I got all these really nice old trees in my yard and pecans and yews and just really unusual large trees 
And I used to sit him out there in the backyard when he was a little baby. Now some people put their kid in the in the uh, bedroom or the kid's room to take a nap. I'd always set him outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like that maybe worked more than anything in terms of his comfort level. Right. He's always been comfortable out there. And right. so many people come to me to at least, if not consciously, unconsciously unravel their fears of nature, whether it's manifested as on what, copperheads, ticks, mm-hmm. chiggers, whatever they're scared of, or poison ivy, whatever they're scared of this month. I feel like he kind of, he grew up fearless in that way, just through what you're talking about, long periods of time in nature. And like, I, he doesn't get this, but, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I love sailing, and I got about five kayaks, and I, I'll, I'll use anything I can to get me out there. Mm-hmm. And he's had more out, more extreme outdoor experience at age 18 than, you know, most adults have that are outdoor oriented their whole life. So I mean, that's going to have to count for something, isn't it, John? Well, that's exactly it. You know, uh, Will, I, I started uh, when I got out of college 20 some years ago. I, I uh, started working with uh, John Young at Wilderness Awareness School and uh, you know that's why I was attracted to you and wanting to uh, do this talk because like it's exactly it's, it's exactly what we teach you know it's just like well let's get the kids out and let's teach the parents to teach the kids and not so much teach that you know, word's not the wrong word but just you know do things uh, with them do things and yeah. and just be out there and that's what we've done with our kids you know, I had my son you know, Two hours after he was born, I had, you know, he was born in the house and had him outside touching trees. And <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, and, wonderful. And he does the, you know, same thing with, uh, you know, with, uh, I don't, you know, the plants and everything. Like, he just knows it and doesn't realize he knows it. Like, he'll go, oh, well, I don't know anything about those plants. I don't know anything. He'll be, oh, yeah? What's this one? That, you know, chickweed, <laughs> what do you do with it? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, you don't know anything? What about this one? You know, you know he's like... <laughs> Provoke him a little bit, huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because he does that, like, you know, preteen. He's just about 13. Like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it was. Yeah, I remember that. I'd, he'd come along on a Hillsborough Wild Herb Walk, which I do every couple of weeks. And, yeah, I'd try to pass the ball and say, okay, he just changed his name from Stan to Sean. He'd say, Stan, would you say, would you say something? No. <laughs> I don't know. Anything. You know, it's like <laughs> took me a while to learn. Just leave him alone. <laughs> Let him do what he wants to do. Exactly. So, um, let's get in a little bit about. Uh, let's see here, because there are so many, so many questions. But uh, let's say if um, you know there's a, a plant that you don't know a whole lot about, and I'm sure that's not too many at this point in your life, but. Uh, you know, how how would you go about wanting to learn about that plant, like, based on the things that you've learned? like You mean I don't know what it is, I can't identify well, let's say you fly out, so, let's say you fly out here to Washington, and, you, and, you, uh, and you're just like, hey, you know, what's that plant, you know? Like, how, 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 how would, like, what I'm trying to get at is that, like, you know, a lot of people will go right for the books. Like, you know, they'll go right for the book, they'll, they'll look up the field guide, and they'll go see what other people have to say about it. But I'm sure that right. you have learned things on learning that, that go transcend that. And, like... Well, yeah. I mean, I did use books back there with catfish. Right. Um, okay. Know, I, like, got, uh, yeah. I got a bunch of... Of course, I got hundreds and hundreds of books. They're all burned up, so I got to oh. replace them all. 
which is something I got 18 months to do. They're they're insured, but I don't know when I gave up books. But I personally gave up books. I'm not sure what point that was. Mm-hmm. Probably when I started hanging out with Native Americans more. I'm not. Sure. I think that probably was the point. But all I I realized they were they were not giving me what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, um, Sean and I drove across the country just in a desperate fleeing. <laughs> to get out of here because we had so much uh, trauma. It's been so consuming with this fire and uh, just the effect it's had on us, um, you know, trying to keep my business going and everything. So we escaped across the country. I think it was for six weeks, five weeks uh, last summer. Mm -hmm. And I just love that kind of thing. I've spent a lot of time in the Florida Keys. So, you know, I've identified a lot of plants down there, but originally I didn't know the plants down in the Florida Keys, you know, which are similar to the Caribbean, the whole, that whole Caribbean basin. But, you know, when you drive across the country, uh, of course, we stopped a lot. We brought a couple of kayaks, and the goal was to go to San Francisco and then go up to the Lost uh, Coast, if you know where that is, about four hours north of San Francisco, where I have a, a couple of former students that are herbalists out there. So that's that's, of course, was the big amount of fun for me and Sean was just all these neat plants that we really didn't have time to spend days and days with. But mm-hmm. first thing I do is look at it. And uh, second thing I do is I make some kind of offering, uh, uh-huh. appreciation, whether I use tobacco a lot primarily, but, you know, whatever it is, piece of my hair, I like to leave something there and make a prayer. Mm-hmm. Just that you know, the excitement of learning new plants and, you know, asking it what it's good for and asking God what it's good for. And I don't make any big heavy deal out of it. I just do it naturally. Maybe I'll take a little piece of it after I make an offering, put it on my dashboard, watch what happens when it dries. You know, you kind of know, you kind of learn over the decades what's toxic and what's not without a book. And, you know, just very carefully, uh, if it felt good, you know, trying, you know, just putting a little bit in my mouth or rubbing it on my skin. It's just that sensual touch, feel, look, trying to use all your senses. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I get to it. And people say, well, do you talk to plants? I said, no, no, mo- it's a listening job. You're supposed to be listening. You're supposed to be listening. I think a lot of people think it's literal that they're literally going to tell you things. I don't get it that way. To me, it's real deep. It's real intuitive, and it just connects with you. And since I started hanging, you know, after I left Catfish, you know, I started meditating a lot every day, and I started fasting a lot Mm -hmm. um, on a regular basis. And that's mostly how I get it is, you know, shutting that rational, intellectual part off and just experience it carefully and uh, celebrate it. And then, of course, if I come to a book, in a bookstore or someplace, sure, I want to look it up and find its name. But it's more the energy of it. And also, it's not just about what it's good for. You know, it's about how it makes you feel. And that, I think, is maybe a liability when people get too deep into this ID and usage. You know, this is what I call the walkabout. When you say, this is that these one-liners, in a way it blocks you mm-hmm. from fully experiencing these plants. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And of course, so I feel like the real learning begins with the plants, and after that you want to find somebody 
that knows more about it than you do, and it could be anybody, hmm. you know, and, you know, but books can be handy. But, yeah, I feel uh, that was one of the greatest joys to me was traveling across and back on different routes and realizing most things, even in the desert and even in Nevada and Utah and, and uh, even out in California, most things, just because I guess I'm grounded in these plants around here, you can figure out what genus they are. Yes. And you can kind of you can kind of figure it out. It makes traveling so much fun, even without a book, because... <laughs> You know, I mean, there's so many Western equivalents of what we have here. It's just, uh, I think that's one of the most exciting things to me when I travel, the little I do travel. I, I laugh, uh, I laugh that. because that's like, you know, like such a common characteristics of plant people, you know, like people listen to this will all be giggling because it's like we can't travel anywhere without stopping on the side of the road and looking up some flower that we pass. <laughs> yeah, and it's a thrill, huh? It's a, a thrill. the sign and, of a true geek, right? <laughs> it's just uh just an and uh it's, it's just seemingly infinite. Yeah. Yeah. Um and 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 when you're when you're there with a, a new plant or something you're out there in the desert uh, do, do you use your uh like do you, do you taste a little of it? Do you, do you get something from your taste or your senses or the smell like that remind you of other plants of certain characteristics? Is that a way you you know, not just by listening but by is that a way you they're speaking to you as well just through your their Oh senses? yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very careful. I'm very mm-hmm. careful. Yes. And uh you know, I mean, I kind of know what the the most toxic plants right. are yeah, in the yeah, area. Yeah, yeah. You know, just and so yeah, I'm very careful. But yeah, I taste them, and you know, I I don't can't do that with beginners. But you know, people that hang with me for these all day classes, and a lot of them take class after class. You know, we I do that year round. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they you know they learn in what to taste and how to taste it and what part to taste, and you know, you get a lot of information through your mouth and your taste buds mm-hmm. in the different tastes. But, yeah, you've got to be really careful. You know, if you do that with particularly young children, like you know, you have to be really careful because some kids just go too far with it. Yeah. I really like the challenge of teaching young kids. I do kids' camps in the summer, and usually I get a few on these herb walks. And, you know, they always improve the atmosphere. Yeah. Because, you know, they're they're not into this talk, 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 this endless verbiage. They're, you know, you've got to keep them involved in that sensual experiential level i mean i think that's my greatest fun you know is to uh, reach out to children particularly now that mine is 18 you learn so much you know it's such a great challenge and they're just naturally there mm-hmm. you know and the ones that aren't somehow probably from having a difficult growing up yeah i somehow le- have learned how to deal with ones that are at first resistant so right. it's always a thrill. It's always a thrill to just watch, you know, these plants transform all our fear and our grief and our sadness into something good, something positive, you know. Hmm. So, how about like a few plants, a few of your fa- of your uh, of your best friends? Uh, what's what's your one of your favorite plants uh, that you really connect with a lot that you teach about? Oh, John. Love? John, how many do I have? <laughs> okay, like this randomly Limited. pick one. Pick a few, and then we'll just take them from there. <laughs> oh, we got about two, three, four. Sure, okay, what, whatever you want. Oh, I hate to just, uh, it's hard to pick them out, you know, because they're all good. Yeah. But my, to answer your question, to rattle them off, you know, wild American ginseng, mm-hmm. calamus root. Mm-hmm. 
slip realm. Yeah, I think those are my um, eastern red cedar. Yeah, those are all really important tell plants. Us about, to me. Uh, tell us about calamus. Well, how long I got, John? <laughs> Just talk. Well, I mean, I, I really, uh, you got me. Uh, essentially, I have written, I wrote, I've written a book, 214 page book. I think it's a nice book. But it's a monologue on Calamus. I haven't haven't published yet because my house caught on fire. But I worked for two and a half years on it, uh, mostly. I mean, I can't write, John, but I can talk. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's with this um, student of mine, Amy Rouse, and another lady, uh, Claire Narinsky. Basically just came over and tape recorded and... and uh, I just, it's just amazing, and I'm talking about just what I've learned about calamus. We kind of cut the research down because it was getting too big, but I began learning about that from hanging out with Native Americans, so I was, I guess, in my early 20s, and I noticed they use it all the time. Mm-hmm. So I've always had more energy than I know what to do with right till the day. It can be a problem. And uh, particularly my age. And so, of course, I'm grateful for it, but I just started experimenting with it, and I moved to three hours north of the uh, Canoa Valley in Calhoun County, and it just is in, which is a very pure, isolated county. And uh, that's a couple hours north. And I just had it all in my yard, and I just started getting it. And I started using it personally. And... I started giving it to people around me, just friends, you know, just take a little piece, put it in your mouth. It's got a bed, you know, it's one of the best herbs on the earth, but unfortunately, people don't know how to use it, and people are scared of it. And uh, so my ex-wife said, uh, it's a strong taste. You you know what I'm talking about, right? Right. Yeah. And so to some, a lot of people, it's a strong taste. And my ex-wife, Janie, said, uh, why don't you try chopping it up, washing it, chopping up, and selling it in the booth? You know, we have, we're selling bags of dried herbs, fluid extracts, incense, potpourri, all of which we made ourselves. You know, we didn't buy nothing in those days. And I still don't, you know. Um, but essentially, it just kind of grew on me. It suits my nature. It's a heroic herb. I like ordeals in nature as well as peace and relaxation and doing nothing. So I've always had a tendency to put myself in extreme situations, um, you know, like on the ocean in a small boat. And uh, I love playing lacrosse. I still play lacrosse, uh, which is a, an intense game. Yeah. It requires a lot of running, a lot of focus. So it just suited me. You know, this wildcrafting is a lot of hard work. Uh, I love it. I use it when I sell. I'm a percussionist. I play music. Um, a lot of I dance for or I drum for a lot of dance classes over at Duke, and you know I'm usually drumming with people a lot better than I am. So you know in that kind of situation, uh, it's very good for focusing, giving you strength, giving you power, giving you focus, and uh, you know you don't want to overuse it. So it's one of these herbs. I've had some customers say, "Well, what's the deal here? Do you?" you have to get an interview to buy a scoop of this stuff? And I say, well, I got a nice label of good information, but you really got to be careful you convey the information so they don't overuse it. Mm-hmm. You know, according to the FDA, there's, you're supposed to say for external use only oh. on the bag, which is a joke. 
you know, all native tribes throughout North America, it's one of the herbs they still use the most. But, you know, I think it's a good rule that the FDA says that because people with the current lack of herbal knowledge would be overdoing it and overstimulating themselves, and it would be damaging. Right. So it's a hero- it's a perfect example of what you know what we call an heroic herb. My friend gave me a little piece of that to chew on once, uh, and that was really something quite quite a flavor. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. It's strong. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So what main uses? Uh, what are a couple of main uses you tell people to use it for then? Well, the common uses are. I mean, it's great for depression. Uh, it's great for is it like an antiacid? Uh huh. When we were doing, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's very good for physical and mental energy. Down here I do the Carborough Farmer's Market, which is next to Chapel Hill, and I do the Durham Farmer's Market, which is next to Duke, and a lot of other good schools. And so, you know, I sell a lot of it to graduate students. It's not just physical focus. You know, when they're doing exams, they use it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, all these farmers, uh, you know, I've, I've got quite a few lacrosse players. You know, anybody that likes to run mm-hmm. likes calamus because, you know, you, when you when you take a little calamus, put a little piece in your mouth about 30 minutes before you take off running, you know, you, you really just all of a sudden realize you have no stopping places. Right, right. Wow, that's... So it's an exciting herb that I think it's, you know, I think the people that should be using it use it. It's not something I... You know, I try too hard to to get people to use because it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it demands something of you. It demands attention. You can't just put a big old piece in your mouth and forget about it. And and this is where uh, you know it's it, it's uh, it's when when telling people about herbs, like how useful that is. That you are there. You know, someone with your knowledge is there at the table at the market so when people do get something you can tell them how to use it versus just walking into some store blindly and just saying oh i heard about this i'm gonna take this you know so it's really what we need right are the herbalists out there and telling well, people correctly how to <laughs> well yeah but i don't mean to be jaded mm-hmm. which of course i have you know if you've been selling what you've gotten out of the earth and that you it kind of goes through you, and you wash it and dried it and chopped it up or made an extract out of it, you know, you're all wrapped up in your product. Mm-hmm. And so the problem I have, particularly in Carborough, but down here, you know, there are a lot of educated people, conventionally educated. So what I've run into, I think it began with the economic bust, but my my main way of doctoring people is probably fluid extracts you know we produce about 70 to 80 Hmm. of them you know all local within the state west virginia primarily some virginia but mostly probably 70 percent of them in this little county here orange county and uh the problem i'm running into these days people will buy food before they'll buy these herbs and it's this lack of knowledge also i find out that I don't feel like they trust the oral tradition. So whatever I say, they go home and Google. Mm. And let's say, you know, then they found, you know, every herb has some kind of, almost every herb has some kind of counterindication or way of overdoing it. And, you know, that's what they focus on. So, um, yeah, I feel this this may seem kind of radical, but I really do feel like we're in the biggest 
dark age of herbal medicine and knowledge of wild foods that's existed for thousands of years because of that you know we don't trust our bodies we don't trust our senses there aren't there are not you know all my teachers are long dead they've been dead for quite a few years native american catfish too so you know uh, yeah it's difficult it's difficult of course i have a, a small loyal following but uh across the board you know the dominant society uh just doesn't doesn't understand this yet but i i attract a lot of um young people people in their early 20s and um you know i feel like something's happening today that is akin to the 60s definitely uh, early 60s mm-hmm. and uh, mid 60s in terms of they don't want to do it like their parents did it they want to do it differently so i have a lot of serious students that um you know it makes me feel like i'm 20 again well it, to be around them it, because I, I end up learning just a lot from them but i really feel like we're um i you know it's uh it's a small number of people still right i mean even though there's even though there, i mean i go to conferences i can look online or look at our you know the people on our website and and feel like there's a lot of people out there learning and doing this stuff, and yet I, you know, I think you're right. Like, like uh, you know, I'm in in the middle of my little world here. So to me, like everyone's into it, but the reality is, is that they're not. And so, uh-huh. and so, so I guess we just have to keep keep doing. It. I mean, I, I I can see that in the last you know my my short time in nature education in the 20 years or something. I mean, like twenty years ago, when I when we were had this wilderness school, like like there was only a handful of wilderness schools, and I think I knew like of them all. And now mm-hmm. there's hundreds of them, and there all really are, yeah. all over. And the same with herbal stuff. So, yeah, in one sense, it's a dark age, but the second, it seems to be it seems to be a, a light there somewhere. Like there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some there's the points of light that are that are starting to shine, and then I guess that's our our best hope, right? Yeah, I feel like that's what we can do is we can just uh, keep the candle lanterns burning and people are coming. And I feel like this wave of uh, youth, it's a a real different generation coming up. So I I have a lot of hope personally because of the people I have around me. And you're and you're in a real interesting spot in your life because you are this link between these old time people where everyone knew the basic stuff. And then society, you know, giving it up, losing it, stuffing it down, making it illegal, all this kind of stuff. And now, like, hopeful, and then linking that to these newer generations who will hopefully rekindle where, uh, you know, with the Internet, it's so far anyway, it seems to be, you know, like there's information for people, you know, mm-hmm. stuff if they find the right people. <laughs> or or at least they can Absolutely. find out about your programs and know, or even listen mm-hmm. to this talk. You know, like, you mm-hmm. know, in fact that, you know, a few thousand or more people will listen to this and get inspired. And so, you know, that's so cool. I'm glad you have hope and that's stuff you're working on because that's what I, that's, that's, that's the way I try to, that's the way I try to keep it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I love that wild crafting game you did. You know, I had a student show me that some time ago and I thought that is so neat. And then you sent me that. I mean. Yeah, I mean that's like that's that's just perfect for that's such a great beginning, you know, drawing the kids into it and yeah. I mean not that it's just a kids game, but you know, you never would have seen a game like that 
it, a few decades ago, and, would you? No, no, no. And and you know, my wife wrote uh, a, a series. Uh, well, the recording of this is not quite out yet, but when this goes out, it'll be out by then. But uh, we we have um, fit, you know, for we noticed in our daughter, uh, she loved the fairy books. Um, so we. Uh, uh, we we said, well, let's take these popular fairy books and combine them with herbs because the old flower fairy books never talk about the herbs. So my wife wrote this whole series of children's books for kids, you know, mo- mostly girls, but little boys, you know, as well, so if they're on the smaller side, uh, uh, <clears throat> called Herb Fairies, where it's a, a, another way of just kind of, you know, to use the Wilderness Awareness School term, where I worked the uh, coyote teaching model, right, which uh-huh. is kind of like, uh, um, you know. T- teaching without teaching or teaching it through stories so it just gets in there you know and so yeah. we're, that's my that's my favorite focus of this i mean it's great teaching adults and everything and we have programs and that but really the passion for me is in how many clever ways can we get this in the kids <laughs> yeah 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 that's for sure that's for sure <laughs> that's my that's what keeps me going and learning herbs is really uh like i'm like like in the children's area you know like trying to get it in that area um, Me too. Yeah. Well, you know the wild. The one thing I like to say about this, uh, when I, I'm, I'm my life is going to get more normal after um, probably another year and a half, two years. So, um, you know, I want to finish this calamus book and do probably a few more monologues on these other uh, herbs. The, the other two herbs I didn't mention are jewelweed and poison ivy. Mm. But, you know, I do want to do some writing on that, but I, what I'm really looking forward to is I want to start a wildcrafting school, which is, you know, with that kind of broad but narrow focus, because there's so many people today that, you know, equate the few of us that are wildcrafting with the old wildcrafters, you know, the model of basically taking everything, leaving nothing. So that's something I'm really excited about, where, you know, I draw people from a bigger area than just here. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you go to these herb conferences, I'm sure you've heard it, and, you know, I hear it all the time. It's like people don't really understand wildcrafting these days. Mm-hmm. They think it's taking and not replenishing, but I'm sure you know it, mm-hmm. and generally my students know it If once they stay a year or two. My goal is to keep apprentices at least a couple of years. And... um you know, they learn that you dramatically increase these wild populations when you do it the right way, even Native American ginseng. So that's something that has just been lost, you know, that connection with the wild plants that are already growing. There's so many people, and, you know, now that I'm rebuilding my house, I'm going to landscape it, and I'll be growing there, Kinesia purpurea, motherwort, catnip, probably a little vitex, but not too much. Uh, you know, it's it's mostly wild, and that's what I really love is wild stuff because you're roaming around. Mm-hmm. To me, gardening can become just like a job. You know what I mean? There's something really free about just walking around and you know observing what's there and figuring out how to use it. So I think that brings, other than teaching, um, yeah, I think that brings me the most joy. And you know, like so many people learn. When I'm supervising people, mm-hmm. I'm not a real good supervisor. <laughs> I have the supervision style of, oh, no, that's not how we do it. Do it like this. All right, all right. And, you know, it's like not like I have a manual. And so, um, yeah, I really feel diminished on the days when I can't actually handle these herbs myself. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying, wash it this way, turn it over this way, filter it this way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
I love it. So um, you have your apprenticeship uh, opportunities and classes and whatnot on willswildherbs.org? Yeah, there's yeah, it's all on there. It's all on in there. In terms of how to get started, and uh, of course, I'm problematic. I realize I'm you know kind of counter the world, but uh, I try to email. I just can't do it, right, frankly. Right, right. I have a woman hired that uh, does some essential every once in a while, but yeah, I'm a telephone person or a letter person, so mm-hmm. that's a limitation, of course. But I I've tried it, and uh, it just doesn't work for me. But I do do a newsletter where we send out newsletters every two or three months and well you know that's not a limitation if people really want to learn they can find they can find you you know <laughs> yeah i guess it filters a lot of people out yeah. <laughs> and if they wanted to meet you in, if, if they if, if they are in the uh, north carolina or in your in your area they can uh, are you at a regular which regular market might they just kind of come across you at well yeah yeah they have to call because i do three. Oh. And then I have one apprentice doing the Durham market. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I kind of fluctuate between the three of them. See, with herbs, it's not like tomatoes, potatoes, where you just use them up and then come back. Right. You know, these these herbs take a little while to to use up. So uh, I do better by keeping myself a little scarce. Okay, okay. Rather than go there every single Saturday. So I switch up. Right, right. Well, then you... So, yeah, and I do mail order all over the country. So Okay, I'm real accessible. I mean, look, you found me. Uh huh. <laughs> Even after all those people kept telling me I needed an interview, now I know why. This has been awesome. This is one of my favorite conversations. I really enjoyed it. It's really great. So uh, again, yeah. again, everyone, willswildherbs.org. Uh, there's a list of herbs there. He produces. You get an idea of what he what he works on, what he makes, and classes and whatnot. So Will and Jace, uh, it's been an honor, and thanks so much for taking your time with us on Herb Mentor Radio. It's been awesome. Oh, yeah, John, I appreciate your work, too. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio, copyright LearningHerbs.com, all rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.